0: Welcome to another episode of Living an Ultra Life. My name is Ginny, and I'll be your host tonight again because Mike said the podcast yesterday was too short. I just can't even believe this, but that's what he said. So he asked me to talk more about what. Living with a crazy runner is like for a non runner. And in my defense, I just would like to say that back in whatever year it was that we went to that gym and we did our 10 week boot camp, I was there with him hopping around on those kangaroo boots, and I actually loved the tigger aspect of running. And I hopped and I hopped and I hopped and I hopped around like a tigger until I ended up at the chiropractor with a structural issue, and then that turned into another structural issue, and that turned into another structural issue, and pretty soon I'm basically out of the running arena. So living with a crazy runner for a non-running wife is like this. I'll give you an example from tonight. Mike imagined that he would arrive at his hotel at 9 p.m. this evening or later. I placed an order for groceries to be delivered to his hotel between the hours of 7 and 9 p.m. And then he texted me and said he thought he'd be there closer to 6.30. If he gets there at 6.30, he will be asleep before his Epsom salts and his Vaseline and his Uncrustables arrive for his lovely dinner this evening. That is what being a non runner is like. Your runner tells you, I'll be there at this time, and you are either late and completely miss them at the junction where you were supposed to meet them, or you sit and wait and wait and wait and wait, and wait, and wait. And hopefully they show up by that final waiting period. However, there have been times on his Bighorn Ultra Trail runs where he has never showed up. There is very little communication and it's very difficult to locate your runner in some of these events. I have driven up mountains and down mountains and around mountains and into parks and parked 12 blocks away and hurried to the park to pick him up only to find that he hasn't been delivered there yet and then waited and waited and waited and waited and waited waited for him to finally show up. For the bighorn race, we finally determined that if he wore all orange, not only would he be able to utilize his running clothes for hunting season to avoid being shot by hunters, but it would make it easier for me to see as I was sitting at Dry Fork, waiting for him to run up the hill, where you can actually see them for about 400 miles before they actually get to you, and every runner looks alike, and every single year he ran, I forgot that I had binoculars in the car. This is what being the non-running partner is like. Now on the positive side, I can pretty much schedule every one of my Saturdays to do whatever I want to do because I know that Mike will be running in the morning, and then he'll be too exhausted in the afternoon and evening to do anything else. Now, this could be lovely if you are really good at coordinating your time and planning fun events after you've already completed the housework. However, I'm not, so usually I'm frustrated on Saturdays because I'm at home doing the housework and Mike's running, But this doesn't stop me from sitting with my kitty cats and taking naps with them, which is my favorite activity. As I mentioned yesterday in the podcast, I'm the object at rest that tends to stay at rest. I will say, though, that over 10 years of his running experience, I have finally learned to not just tune out when he says, Eight point four five, eight point five one, eight point five six, eight point five two, eight point three nine, eight point four six, eight point two nine, eight point three five, eight point four thousand nine hundred sixty two billion, eight point zero 8.56, billion, 8.0 infinity, 8 point who knows what the other number is. I now can hear the numbers understand what the point of the numbers is, and actually appreciate and encourage him and applaud him on his success at mastering the going out slow and then maintaining a good rate so that his heart rate doesn't get up too high, and then he ends up crashing and not finishing the run. Other amazing accomplishments we've had over the years is finally outfitting our Toyota Sienna minivan with a fantastic fan, a cot, a mattress for the floor, and cooking and cleaning things that make camping in the van much more comfortable. Unfortunately, it took us until we moved to Virginia to make these changes, and it's really way too hot, muggy, and buggy to camp in this area. So our camper van generally gets used for me taking naps at lunch at work. It was a struggle to come up with a system for handling the extra laundry required by runners, but we've figured out a way where he can sit at the front door on the tile, throw his disgusting, smelly, drippy clothes into a bucket, and then carry them over to the laundry room so they don't drip all over the floor. This has been just an extravagant, lovely addition to our lives so that I don't have to walk on sweaty footprints across the carpet. I've also placed fans strategically throughout the house. There's a fan in his running closet to dry out his stinky, disgusting running shoes. There's a fan in the bathroom because so many showers are taken that the the exhaust really can't handle the amount of steam that gets in there. There's an extra fan in the laundry area to get out the humidity that is caused by all the extra loads of laundry. So I'm a big fan of fans. As I mentioned in yesterday's five-minute podcast, I was so tired driving Mike out to the start of Swami Shuffle. My job was to come back after I dropped him off and make him some hot chicken with mashed potatoes and soup. And then my dear friend Jennifer was joining me for the drive down to Corolla to meet him at the lighthouse. Jennifer arrived, and I said, okay, I'm ready, let's go. And she said, what about the chicken? Ha! I would have completely forgotten it in my exhausted stupor from not sleeping for the previous week. So in that, we've learned that I am not a good crew person. I get so caught up in Mike's excitement that I become totally exhausted, numb, clueless, asleep, whatever you want to call it, and I am not good at crewing him. On a couple of his runs in Wyoming, where there was a turnaround, you came back to the start of the race before going back out, I'm like, You don't have to finish this race. There's hot dogs and pizza and beer right over there. Just quit. So he learned that I'm really not a great crew member and really not a great encourager for his runs. So I no longer have that job. I am good at helping him make checklists to remember what to take with him. I'm good at driving from aid station to aid station and waiting for him and woo-wooing him and many of the other runners to the point that I'm hoarse. I am good at keeping track of his nutrition and how many calories he has taken in as long as it's during the daytime hours, preferably between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Because those are really the only hours that I can be guaranteed to be awake and alert. Well, maybe not all the way from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Because sometimes I do need a nap in there, but I am good at napping in the back of any vehicle while he's running. Being the non-running spouse of a long-distance runner requires me to be okay with him running long hours with members of the opposite sex. And it requires him to be diligent to be faithful to the marriage vows that he took. Living an ultra life is not a boring thing, it's a dangerous, daring, creative, wild adventure. And if you work together to stay together, love each other, and sacrifice for each other, it is a great place to be. I've doubled my podcast time from last night. So this is going to be that's it for this episode of Living an Ultra Life. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.